Welcome to episode 95 of the Daniel Yoris podcast with today's guest, Ari Tula. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Joined here today by Ari Tula. Ari, thank you so much for being here and thank you for your patience and me getting the show started today. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel. Great to be here. How are things uh, on your end? What's uh, what's a day like today in Ari's world? Uh, it's it's pretty nice. Uh, woke up today. Uh, it's sunny, beautiful sky in uh, San Francisco Bay Area as 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 usually. Only problem is that I feel a little bit, you know, sore throat. Um, I think the kids are bringing again some bug from the from the school. So not COVID, but you know, some other bug. Yeah, so that's sucks a bit. It's that uh, that time of year. Do you ever miss the the winter time or that transition to winter time in like? from from home in Finland? I mean, I know that you snowboard and stuff and experience winter, but it's not true winter the same way. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I do. And uh, it's funny in a sense, and, and you know that well, that you have the seasons, of course, but you also have the dark and the light that is quite unique. And uh, I'm from uh, originally from the northern part of Finland, uh, nearby the Arctic Circle. So think about like, north of uh, north from canada even to alaska and um, today for example they have about two and a half hours of sunlight and then uh, you know the rest is darkness so it's a very bizarre place to live and in the summer as many know it's gonna be 24 sunlight and um, and that's pretty odd and it changed the way how people kind of grow up and how people behave and how people are um, and uh, seasonal depression is a real thing. And ha- being in California for 15 years, I I can't say I I miss the the dark winters. <laughs> I I agree with you there. The seasonal depression is absolutely a real thing. I've the seasons have just really started to change and feel like it here in Toronto or in Canada, this part of Canada, anyways. Over the past like couple weeks, and even this morning, you know, people in the gym, everyone's kind of saying the same thing. Oh, I just feel really tired. I feel kind of down. I feel like just off. And, you know, there are things of course that we can do to, to help that and to try and offset that vitamin D and exercise and, you know, several different tools, which we may get into, but nothing replaces just the sun and the atmosphere and the, and the warmth of, of summer or, or the, the lack of the cold of winter. So hard to replace. So I don't blame you for not, for not missing <laughs> your, your hometown all that much uh, as far as the weather anyways. But I have to admit, I go to Pico Tahoe and spend about 10, 20 days in Tahoe every year in snow. And uh, and we have, a, we have a cabin there. So you you, ha- you can't take the snow out of a fin. Uh, <laughs> it stays forever. That's right. What was it that really brought you to California? Was it business? Was it, uh, was it surfing and, and athletics or a combination of the two? Uh, for me, I was in a very interesting position uh, about 15 years ago I, I worked in this small Finnish uh, company called Nokia and at the time when Nokia was the biggest uh, company invented more or less the, the phones and uh, and billion people were walked around with Nokia devices so I had a I was working in the Nokia's not on the device side so much more on the on the gaming and the application side and I came to the Bay Area to build a new unit to create uh, mobile games this is like very back in the days before iPhone and Android. And, you know, remember the device with with, uh, with buttons on that mm-hmm. we don't really even have today anymore. Maybe you see them in your in your parents, in your drawers. So anyway, I was um, in a position where I could 
basically make a pick more or less where we're going to build this new thing and and i was looking at vancouver we had an office in vancouver already we had one office in in san francisco uh we had an office in new york in berlin and and even in sydney and i was basically given an order to do something and i was like well i think i want to go to the bay area because of the of the weather because i just absolutely love the the california uh the opportunities you have here that uh, give you opportunities to you know, ski and surf and hike and mountain bike and all these things and also of course not the least you know the talent and uh, and what was going on in silicon valley at the time of course little did i know about what will happen then in the next decade when um, iphone comes out android comes out and the world changes fundamentally completely you know and these devices enable services like uh, like you know delivery like food delivery and and you know uber and lyft and and life is it's just different now <laughs> and um, it's been it's been a wonderful place to to live and and you know learn and and be able to be entangled in this new uh technology that happened in the last 15 years it's been it's been an amazing ride i mean i couldn't be more pleased that you know i picked picked san francisco not uh, sydney for example right it's uh it is amazing to think back how like how not far long how not long ago that was where you know snake on the Nokia phone I remember at school I was probably in like grade 3 or 4 at the time and a, a classmate brought in his mom's cell phone that day and had snake on the on the phone and we were all playing it and it was like the coolest thing and now it's like that would be you know, like the least fun game on a, on a current device, right? There's obviously, you know, serious video games on like a, on an iPhone or a, a Google Pixel or whatever. And, uh, but it's really not that long. If you think about it, it's well within my lifetime. I'm 28. That was like, you know, like you said, 15 years ago or so. And how much farther things will get maybe in another 15 years with VR stuff coming in and whatever, which you're probably way more in tune to that. Uh, just being in San Francisco and in that industry than, than I am having an ear to it. But um, it's not all good. And I think that you probably agree with that. Some of the stuff that we're, you know, all of the problems that we've solved or we've created more problems than we've solved to a degree. What do you think about that? Well, let me put one thing in perspective first, which is uh, I know personally the person who built the first Nate game at Nokia. (laughs) He used to sit like, you know, a few cubicles away. So that was kind of funny that, and it was not built by Nokia. It was a game built on PC before, but taken and then turned into a game that billion people played. And often people had the first experience of playing games with the snake. And of course, later it became more high fidelity and people learned to make games that are right for the device style and and so forth. But think about this for a second. Like when I I was starting to dabble with video games, mid nineties first time. So I was a, like a, in high school, I was one of these geeks who played the, the first games and online before we had websites, before we had email, <laughs> like pretty early. <laughs> and, um, and I became one of the best players in the world on one of these games. And, you know, we had maybe, I don't know, 50,000 people playing globally. And I spent 10,000 hours of my time playing this one game that only 50,000 people ever played and had no graphics or anything. So I got into it early. But my point is that you had this time when... There were no games, there were no smartphones, and, and then it, it happened, and at Nokia we got the first 
phones out there with games and we thought about the size of the market and we were like well you know it could be like a billion dollar market maybe two billion dollar mm-hmm. market and whatever when we started it was basically nothing there were like nothing happening and you could buy games from these lists from like AT&T or SMS very very uh, crude way of doing it but today and I'm, I don't work in the video games business too much anymore I'm involved in a few companies as investor and as a as an advisor or whatnot but the numbers are staggering Mobile gaming today is the biggest single uh, type of gaming today in the world. Uh, $150 billion a year is spent on mobile games. That is, by the way, more than music and books and, and uh, video combined. Wow. Think about it, like movies, books and music are smaller than the video games today. And there's a couple, couple of mobile games that my friends have created, like a company called Supercell. They have a Glass of Glass game. Mm-hmm. I think that one game has made more money than the Star Wars. Everything. Wow. From the like the Disney World to the to the movies to the books to whatever you have. That's that one insane. game I think has made more money than the whole Star Wars franchise ever. I mean, that's pretty insane when you think about it. So the magnitude of this, it, it's hard to fathom when you think about it. But there are now 4 billion people who are playing mobile games on a weekly or monthly basis. Four billion people, more than half the people in this planet are doing it. And and that kind of happened. And who could have ever thought about that to be the case? I mean, nobody. And yeah. like you are um, saying, it's not all good. I mean, there's a huge amount of addiction that we have on our phones. We pick the phone up 150 times a day. We spend now more time on the phone than we do combined listening music and watching tv and and you know talking to people and now we have a have a youth uh, generations who are coming um in aids and and they basically don't see as many people as i did in my youth they don't have as many friends i mean it's very different i don't know if it's not all bad but it is very different yeah when we think about the the size of that the size of the industry the amount of money that's been made in these things i would have had no idea that clash of clans would have made more money than star wars if you put that in a trivia i would i would bet a serious amount of money that 90% of people would get that question wrong because that's just that seems crazy right more people i would like you know my parents and older people would know star wars they would have no idea what clash of clans is yet clash of clans has made way more money than Star Wars. That's that's wild. But then we talk about addiction. I remember there was a game, uh, Flappy Bird, I think it was called, and it was a mobile game and just whatever tapping and make the bird go through the course. And they had to take it off of the, of the of the app stores because people were be playing it too much. There were divorces happening allegedly and whatever. <laughs> and and that like I was like that's insane, but okay. And then we go toward you know forwards and kids are playing less sports. And people are less productive at their job and eyesight is worse because we're staring at this little screen and all of these trickle down effects that that I always think about in, in the in the lens of our health. Of course, you know, COVID has played a huge role over all of our lives in the past couple of years. And I think that's something that's not talked about enough is, OK, we saved, you know, however many people with lockdowns with this and if you if you want to go down that route. But what are all of the trickle down effects? What are the things that are going to happen from this for the next 
20 years, 30 years. And, and the same with the video games, right? Kids are playing, okay, they're having fun and, you know, they're doing their thing, but they're not exercising. They're not socializing. They don't have as many friends. They don't have as good conversation skills or uh, in, in tune with the environment at all. And what are the effects of that when those kids are 50 years old? And I'm not sure that we really know the answer to that. And maybe we, we don't necessarily want to know the answer to that because it's probably not a good one. And it's not only that, but as you already previously said, the, the future is going to be way more engaging and interesting. You have things like many of us have tried VR headsets mm-hmm. and many of us have said that, uh, well, I mean, I got, I felt more than sick. Uh, it was like going to a roller coaster in an amusement park. Uh, that's not going to fly. <laughs> Those devices that many of us have tried are the first smartphones that we were building at Nokia 20 years ago. Think about what the 5.0 of the Oculus or the 3.0 of the Apple upcoming VR system will look like. It will look like the real world. It will be more engaging. It will be more exciting. And it will be absolutely addictive to many people. So, and I'm... It's interesting, that's one topic that I don't often talk about because it's been in my past, but I spent, uh, like I said, 10,000 hours playing a video game that had no graphics, text. 10,000 hours in my high school. I spent eight hours a day or more, or less, every day. I was addicted to the bone. And, and later, I played a lot of the games like, you know, World of Warcraft a little bit and Ultima, you know, online. I, I was in the second life. I've been dabbling with every virtual world metaverse that we have been developing as humans. And I think I have a unique viewpoint of understanding how real these things can be. One of my, one of my great friends of, in my childhood, he married a, a, a girl in the old, in mid-90s, in this game. And then he almost married this woman later in real life. I mean, think about it. that's wow. bizarre. <laughs> All the first people in the world to do that. But, you know, that that was kind of what happened then. And there was no boundaries. There was no limitations. And now we're going to get into this new world of VR. And um, it, it's going to be really interesting what it makes out of us humans. Because, the, like you said, the COVID... Um, and all things happening in the world around us, it's not very nice place for everybody. People are not having great time. People are scared. People are uh, depressed. People have a lot of anxiety about the world. And now we have an economic downturn coming likely in the coming years and, and maybe next year already. What that will do to people who haven't seen that happening. I mean, like, you know, you are 28. You, you really... Barely can remember, you know, the last time we had a downturn. It, it, it's been really great run for the last, you know, um, fifteen years or over a decade at least. And um, so, yeah, it's really interesting. I, I don't have answers, but um, I'm as a technologist, I'm very interested what what will happen. And we are living in amazing times because it's also then uh, adding the, the the new threat and opportunity of AI. And I don't know if you have seen uh, the latest developments, but basically uh, the new AIs are going to pass the Turing test pretty well. They will be able to impersonate as me as well as I can do it myself, maybe less accented me, <laughs> maybe a good, better looking me. 
so you know the podcast uh, host of you will be basically an AI likely in a moment and also photos and art will kind of go away because we can create better art more in in seconds so all this writing and creating stuff that we can easily use the AI will change and and then you know AI will become our friend and our kids friend probably first and many of us are going to have an assistant that will mainly be like you know half of us um, that is an AI based and it won't take long it will be more like 10 years or five years we hope that they're going to be our friends and not going <laughs> to not going to go the other <laughs> the other route. I think we've all seen a couple of the of the movies, uh, I Robot and uh, uh, what's that other one, Ex Machina, and, and those movies, which are which are great films, but uh, a little bit scary and a little bit doomsday. And I think you're very accurate in saying that if you've used uh, any VR headsets, the Oculus or whatever, you can tell that it's not quite there yet, but it's not that far away from someone being totally convinced that that is the real reality. And for someone who maybe doesn't have that great of a life, they, they're, they're maybe depressed, maybe don't have uh, many friends, or maybe, you know, whatever their case is, that's just not ideal. Why would they choose to live in the real world when they could live in the virtual world and they can be a, a, a god and be whoever it is that they want and have all of the things? It, it's It's scary. It's scary. But I think, like you said, there is some positive hope as well. We may be able to, you know, turn this in. There are opportunities and good things that will come with it. And so long as we are able to make a little bit more good than bad, I think we're going to be all right. But undoubtedly, it is, uh, it is part of our future and certainly an, an endless rabbit hole with lots of unknowns until we get there to go down. So, so we can spend forever talking about it. But what I do want to flip this to now is how do you go from that from playing video games so often from being so entrenched in that world to getting into the whole biohacking and and health promotion how did that transition happen for you i had two camps as a kid i i had this luck of um getting my first pc from my dad when i was maybe six or seven years old these are the old pcs that cost about as much as a car (laughs) did nothing these were the one with the old floppy disk, the big one, not the small one. <laughs> and, you know, they could store maybe 20 megabytes of information in a hard drive that cost, you know, $10,000. So <laughs> very early, uh, two colors and so forth. Anyway, like you could do a few things with them. One was, of course, to write and do calculations and whatnot. Or then you could play the early, early games. I picked more the gaming aspect. So that got me into this whole thing very early. And I was truly kind of one of the first people who got into the web in in the Europe, uh, first people who got into gaming stuff online in the world. And and that made kind of who I am today. But on the other side, I also, I played hockey for my youth and I I was an kind of aspiring athlete. I was never big enough to play in NHL, but luckily, you know, some of the other kids that, you know, we played together, they were lucky to get to get to play in a real league. And um, and later I, I kind of felt that, I mean, I missed that opportunity. I wanted to do that. And um, and I think in a way, the the fact of getting to Silicon Valley and, and becoming an entrepreneur became kind of my NHL. I wanted to play in the highest league and and become a, a, a entrepreneur athlete in a way that I'm today. And I'm I'm still firm believer that, you know, your your, your body leads your mind in a sense that if you think you want to do something and you can visualize it, you can do it. 
if you are living life in a way that your body is healthy, your body is able, you can bend your mind to be able and create things that you are going to be very proud about and even surprised in the end what you're able to build. Um, so I, I train 15, 20 hours a week still today. Uh, today is different sports and different things I, I did in my youth. But uh, uh, so it's been really like, you know, the technology and then uh, kind of the sports and uh, and um, and health that came later into the fray. And there are two reasons why I, I, I work today mainly 90% in the healthcare field. First is that I got into this sort of, I hate the biohacking word. I think it's a totally wrong thing. Um, but this quantifying your, your um, quantifying your life in a way that you can improve it is more like what I believe in. And being able to put numbers on a board from your body and anything you do, only way to improve is to measure. And that's kind of fundamental thing I do every day. I was at Nokia a uh, long time ago, maybe almost 20 years ago, when we were uh, working on the first mo- games and smartphones. And we were trying to push the envelope. What could you do with these phones? We had a screen, we had a keyboard, we had a connectivity. What can we do with these? Something new. And one thing we realized is that the early phones, uh, maybe N95 of Nokia, kind of more expensive smartphone type of phone, it had a sensor in the phone that was turning the photos from the landscape to portrait automatically. So you used, you used to like click a button and turn them. Super annoying. You don't need to do it anymore. <laughs> but that sensor was the same sensor that was later put in the Nintendo Wii controller. So it was a really powerful, not a gyroscopic sensor, but like, you know, motion sensor. And um, the Nokia, you know, engineers, they hacked uh, together a step counter out of it. And that was the beginning of this whole quantify self thing, in my opinion, that, you know, Nokia put the first phones out with the step counter. It was 10,000 steps that they came up as a, as a, it was just some random study they found in Japan that said 10,000 steps and that became the law. And now we have a billion <laughs> people, you know, walking 10,000 steps a day. <laughs> there was no science behind it. There's one guy who found this one study, I believe, in the end. But, you know, I saw that the change in myself and, and millions of people who started to use these uh, phones as a step counter and they changed their behavior. So it was like, aha, there's something in this idea that we take technology, we let ourselves track it. I mean, steps are a very simplistic way of tracking. But then later I was, um, um, I met the, met the guys who built the Aura Ring early on and I, I invested on that company. Uh, eight years ago and, and been a little bit involved from the very beginning and super proud about the guys. I mean, they're from my hometown in Finland and they built an amazing company. Now every athlete is wearing this ring and it becomes like a like a tribe. We are part of the Aura tribe in a way. <laughs> and it will be a big company. I mean, they, they will be a public company soon. And I mean, super proud about them in every way possible. But then we be we started to kind of invest in this space about 10 years ago and, and done like 50 investments with my wife, uh, mainly in human performance optimization. But the second reason why I'm doing this is more important even, and it's because my my wife had a had a had a health issues when she was 20 or so a long time ago. Uh, she had a thyroid tumor that was taken away, and it led into autoimmune diseases and it led into complications of how do we can't get pregnant. And we spent about a decade of trying to find a way to solve that mystery. And in the end, uh, it was Eastern Western medicine combined with right diet and nutrition that helped us to do it. And um, I became a big believer in this idea of food as medicine. And um, in the U.S., when we moved here 15 years ago, we 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 had our first uh, uh, first son, and you know he he didn't make it. 
So we had a lot of drama in the in the healthcare world, and and that led me into found uh, uh, companies in this space and and dedicate my next thirty years in in taking my what I learned in the in the in the tech space and the gaming and bring that into healthcare, and uh, it's been quite rewarding to be able to build things that are impacting millions of people. Uh, my first company, Better Doctor, it was a doctor finder service. We couldn't find the right care when we needed it. And, and I wanted to build a, a service to help people on that. And, and today, uh, it's one of the backbone companies that is helping people, you know, when they look for doctors, the doctor data often comes from my my previous company. So uh, quite proud about that. You know, we're helping hundreds of millions of people a year today to find a doctor. It's one of the probably best ways to build a company is to solve a problem that you have. Because if you as a person have that problem, then other people have that same or similar problem or mystery to solve. And therefore, you know, you're going to be able to help them. So, wow, of course, it's unfortunate that the things that, you know, you, you had to go through lots of great things have come from it from both the business sense and being able to help others and continue to to lift the world forward, right? I think the most interesting thing to me is how do we continue to blend this like ancient stuff? We talk about Eastern medicine versus Western medicine, Western medicine, if we can loosely label it as prescription pill, Eastern medicine, loosely label it as maybe there's something else going on here and maybe we can find a, a root cause or a, or a different type of prescription or it includes some diet and exercise or lifestyle change to some degree. And how do we blend those things? Because of course, there's a place for everything, right? If I get in a car accident, I don't need someone to do some, you know, magic hands on top of my arm, like just, you know, do the surgery, put the bones back together and let me go on my way, right? But for other things, maybe we don't need a prescription for everything. And, and how can we even, I think one step further, which is I think something that you also work on a lot, is how do we avoid getting sick in the first place? How do we stop making the food and the lifestyle that we live, this modern world, be the biggest source of our problem? How do we make it a source of our actual health, right? That's a that's a very tricky thing. And it's going, it's almost having to take a step back and undo the things that we've done. And okay, how do we actually make this world work for us versus work against us, which is basically what the entire healthcare system is doing, because it's mostly in the West anyways, a sick care system where you get sick and then something happens rather than it's proactively keeping you healthy. Do you agree with that notion? <laughs> There's a loaded, uh, loaded question, a lot, lot in there. <laughs> and I, I, I do agree with your assessment. And uh, as I said already, I think the point about we love to label things as people. We love to label medicine, you know, Western, Eastern, holistic, uh, natural. We love to label diets. Um, I think it's mainly because we are we have limited ability to understand things as humans, and labeling makes it easier for us to be in a camp, uh, know what to do, uh, know who we are, or define who we are. I think a lot of that is bullshit, to be fair. And I think for me, it's like so much stuff that works, and I'm more than happy to work on that. So much stuff that doesn't work, and I think it's humbug, you know, being medicine or, or whatever it is we call it. Half the stuff probably doesn't work at all and other half works and, and we should focus on stuff that, you know, we can measure and we have science behind. If somebody doesn't have a, you know, real data, I mean, I'm like, I don't really care about that. That's bullshit. So that's how I live my life and I, I, I'm i agnostic. I don't really care about the labels. I couldn't, I, people have labeled me many ways and I have been a vegan, I have been a vegetarian, I've been pescatarian, I've been many things. 
Uh, today I'm back eating meat maybe twice a week. Um, and I call myself um, healthy. And I, I look look pretty good. I perform pretty well. Um, and many people are copying what I do. Uh, so I think I'm doing something right. But it's not about being like labeled, being agnostic, being fundamentalist. I mean, you have to be flexible in a way you live your life. Uh, but the point you said about um, what the healthcare system is about, it is truly a sick care system. It is what we have built it to be. And the way how we pay for healthcare is completely uh, strains in a way that most of us in, of course, in, in Canada, you have more of a uh, government uh, supported system in a way you don't even know the bill necessarily, and you get care if you need it. In the US, we have 15, 20 million people who don't get care today, they can maybe get some urgent care or ER, but they don't have healthcare at all. That is a one of the biggest problem we have today as a society. And I'm an American as well. I'm a Finn. Um, so I'm both, but you know, I, I think I'm I'm very um, disappointed about the fact that we have not been able to improve the healthcare system at all in the last 15 years. And I've been following it very closely. I know many of the people who are trying hard, and many of them are really excellent people. But the system is just so really difficult to to change, and um, and it's not about one law, not about one change. It's like fundamentally thinking differently about the whole thing. And I think today, it it's not going to be changed up at the top. It will be thousands of new entrepreneurs, uh, policymakers, uh, local level politicians, uh, school administrators who will make the change happen over time. It won't be one big bang. It will be slow going. But I mean, it's been great in the last you know years to see that uh, people are starting to believe that we can actually use food as a lever for healthier nation. And as you well know, we spend most of our healthcare costs today on managing chronic conditions that are borne by our lifestyle and reversible by the diet what got us there without any money need to spend on medication if we do it right. I mean, that would be a much better world. And we know already, we have science about it already. We, we just have a very hard time uh, moving the mountains that are pharma and uh, the health delivery system and the payer system. Uh, it's very complicated. Anyone who's ever dealt with anybody involved in government or overseeing large programs or you know spoken to anyone in that field would know that these things don't happen at the snap of a finger. The amount of change that would have to happen overnight to like quote unquote, convert the healthcare system to something that is more optimal would be nearly impossible in, in, in the US and, and same in Canada. Like our system is a little bit differently funded, but it's not necessarily better or worse. It's more accessible, but that doesn't make it better or worse, but separate conversation. Um, but to just flip a switch and change that is impossible. So it always comes back to the individual and the individual trying to kind of taking ownership of their own life and being like, okay, what are the things that I can do to help me? Because I can't continue to rely on the system to, to save me. And so private companies that are coming in or, you know, information that's just out there and doing some of your own homework, finding, uh, you know, better doctors and better advice and more individualized advice by tracking your own data and like just paying attention to the things that's happening in your life. That's the thing that can move the needle for each person. It's, it's impossible, again, to just make this like large-scale change, but 
I think you said it perfectly a little bit a little bit ago is that it starts with awareness. If we don't if we're not aware of the things that are happening to our body and the things that we are actually doing, the food that we are actually eating, the actual quality of our sleep. We think we slept great. You know, you had sleeping pills and three glasses of wine before bed and so you, you know, you knocked out as soon as you hit the pillow. That's not actually <laughs> sleeping well, although you might think that you slept well. So how do we actually start to, or when we actually start to quantify these things, then it's just plain in numbers. There's no or little room for interpretation or incorrect interpretation, and we can start to make a little bit more sense of it, right? What are some of the best things that you track for yourself uh, that you think are like most accessible or easiest to, to start tracking for people let's start with the most simple thing that I, I i'm a massive believer in and we do really bad work on it today and you already talked about it but i think you know the the number one thing i i really like myself is to think about recovery uh, that's the backbone for everything that you have uh, you don't need to be an athlete but even if you are you're working you're stressed you have kids you want to be the you know best husband father uh, parent, uh, if you're tired, you can't be that. And um, sleeping is the easiest way of becoming healthier, even easier than change your diet or starting to walk. Uh, we all can go sleeping earlier. It may sound silly, but um, if only so with Aura, I mean, we have millions of people now who have, you know, tracked their sleep for many, many nights. I've done it for seven years every night. And I know that uh, I sleep really well when I go sleep between 10.30 and 11. If I go sleep at midnight, not so well. If I drink alcohol after 7 p.m., not so well. If I eat at after 8 p.m., not so well. If I'm, you know, having a you know horror movie on my TV at, at you know, 12.30 at night, <laughs> not to sleep well at all. So it's very simple things that you can do to improve it. And some people say it's going to be very difficult. I mean, I want to have my quality time. I don't have my glass of wine, whatnot. Once you start tracking this with rings like Aura, or you can do the, you know, the whoop or whatever you want, um, they all do the same thing. Um, you are understanding that the two glasses of wine I had at 7 p.m., 8 p.m. made my REM sleep to be zero, zero. Without REM sleep, you're going to be non-creative. You, you can't create. You, you, you won't be you. And many people end up having no REM sleep in in years, in a way, if they do this. Super silly. I mean, and once people track, the first thing they do, by the way, they stop drinking alcohol. Or they, they end up drinking like one glass of one, one beer here, here and now. That's what I've done for like many, many years already. I never really drink more than one or two glasses of alcohol. Alcohol sucks. <laughs> Not a great drug. Some other drugs are way better, I think, that people should maybe use more. So that's the first thing that I, I really think that the, if and if you start sleeping more, and better um, many other things are going to be happening as well then you can you have more energy you can do more things you can change your behavior better but the second thing i i, I really believe in is is the nutrition the diet and and just the fact of not eating uh, highly processed food and not eating too much sugar i don't think people need to be again obsessed about go or keto uh, can work for many people but um, it's more about not having added sugar in food will make your life very different. So I do I do crack my glucose in my, I have a glucose monitor on for the last few years already. Uh, I'm involved in a few companies, uh, Levels Health and um, uh, Super Sapiens. 
who are doing those surveys today, you can get a sensor, they give you an app, and you can track your you know, meal behavior, eating behavior, training behavior, and you can see what the outcomes are. It's not that fundamental after two years, but the first month is like super eye-opening. You're going to find out that you likely, you should never eat rice. Uh, that's for me. You should never eat oatmeal ever again. I ate oatmeal for decades and I never eat it again. I can't, I can't do tamales. I can't do things that my ancestors ever never ate in Finland. But I can do dairy. I can do ice cream fine without any spike in glucose. Glucose spike is this thing that you don't need to worry about every spike. But if you get too many spikes, it's like losing a, a chord in your in your or string in your guitar and you're drumming too much it's too loose it doesn't play properly same happens to your glucose in the end when you get too many insulin spikes and and you basically become a diabetic type 2 diabetic that that's happening today for half the people in north america today half the people we are pre-diabetic already that's pretty sad i mean we're gonna have massive problem coming like we, have, we haven't seen anything about the problem today it will be massive in the next 30 years if we do nothing about it so nutrition is a key, and but no, again, not to be like a like go too deep in a certain dogma or certain label, but actually you know start eating uh, more proper food. We almost all know about it. And then lastly, it's about movement. I don't talk about activity or exercise. I do it myself because I'm, I love it. It's not right for everybody. If you are you know BMI thirty five, you can't really do you can't you can't start running or, or doing like rock climbing in over there. Not going to be safe. Not going to be smart. Or even possible but you know that's what i do i love it i mean it's, it's part of me uh but you know movement go hug trees walk outside go to the forest super important yeah just the movement in general as far as like which type of movement is actually way less important for our overall health so long as you're moving just do the thing that you enjoy whether it be strength training hiking zumba class walking circles around your living room like what doesn't it doesn't matter what it is just just move something but anything uh, you like to do it exactly exactly I've, I've said this before on the podcast and i know that it's a bit of a bold claim but but i'm happy to repeat it that i i don't think that type 2 diabetes is something that should even exist in humanity that due to our lifestyle we should not have that as a problem at all it should uh, we can we can essentially eliminate it from you know perpetuating forward and the amount of just dollar savings that we would have in the healthcare system and the amount of people that we would save limbs that are lost and all the other complications that come from type 2 diabetes would be enormous and the the saddest part to me is that it's not that hard to not for this for this to happen there's no bad luck that really happens with type 2 diabetes one might make the argument of social economic or socioeconomic factors that lead to the the conditions that then lead to type 2 diabetes and that's for sure a valid argument but still it comes down to like making the choices and doing the things and creating the conditions to not have that which is just sleep a little bit better eat real food and don't eat too much junk and don't make too much of these crazy spikes of glucose and whatever and move your body a little bit it's not asking for really all that much and and it, it really it really does make me sad to see that this is like such a prevalent thing and again back to the covid thing i think there's been so much weight gain across the board over the past couple of years that it's going to accelerate things like type like type 2 diabetes and 
other lifestyle related diseases and conditions that are going to start coming out in, you know, 15, 20, 30 years down the road. And we're going to be like, well, how did this, all of this happen? Why did this happen? We're so shocked. And it's like, well, you know, remember when we all sat at home and ate chips for two years? Yeah. Didn't help anyone. So not to go down a, a, a bad rabbit hole there, but you could take a teenager today and you can very easily help them to avoid becoming sick uh, by, you know, just guiding them right in the, and building the right habits in the right way at the right time. But at the same time, we need to keep in mind that it's very difficult to take a 50 year old who is already obese and who has not moved in a decade and, and heal that person is way more difficult. The body is very persistently, it, it has found a status quo that it, it wants to stay. Mm-hmm. It is not easy. And we, we often, we, we very often, um, again, label people as, you know, that person is overweight, that people, person is obese, and we stigmatize them. I don't, that's opposite what we need today. We, we need more empathy and we need to understand that, you know, obesity or being overweight is, is, is an illness. And it's not about, you know, you don't have the self-confidence or you don't have the, uh, the willpower or the crit to do the right thing. That's, that's again, bullshit. We have to build much better systems today uh, to help these people. And um, it likely will end up being not only telling people to change their behavior, very difficult to do. It will be partially, I think, medication, like the new drugs that are coming out for weight loss and possibly about changing behavior and, and using these things like we talked about, the gamification of the phones and others to build programs to people that are keeping them uh, uh, on, on tech and on the right track. Uh, but it's it's very ugly to see that, you know, half the population in the, in the US is becoming, you know, obese and, and we they have been stigmatized. Also, what we do, we normalize it in a mm. way that we just say, well, that's how it is. And that's also not the right thing to do because, I mean, some people can live and be very heavy and they can live a great life until uh, old age and not have huge amount of issues. But most people will have health issues that are going to be basically bankrupting the nation and, and causing people to live this pseudo life for decades that they can't do the things they want to do. And when you see people truly, you know, get back on track, start losing the weight, lose maybe like, you know, 25 pounds, 30 pounds. They can first time tie their own shoelace. They can see their toes. I mean, it's like an amazing positive feedback loop. And these people, they got a new chance in life and they they are loving it. And, and there are a lot of people who have done that healing process. And it's really amazing to see uh, as a person who is building these services that are helping people to take control. And I think you said it really well earlier. Uh, awareness is one, but it's even more about empowering people to take control of their own life because it has to, it's up, up to you and me. It's not up to some system or some health doctor, whatever. It's up to you and me to make a decision and make the change. We can do that. We need to become the CEO of our own health and all, our own life and drive it. You can't ask for somebody else to do it. It's up to you to do it, but you need tools. You need, you know, these things that can help you to get there. Very well said. I, I always like to think of it as it's not someone's fault. It doesn't doesn't matter whose fault it is if you are unhealthy, whether it's your fault or the system's fault or whoever. You can blame whoever you want to blame. It doesn't actually matter. 
But what does matter is that it's your responsibility to solve that problem because no one else will solve it for you. So you can be mad at the world. End of the day, you've got to be the one to choose the salad instead of the cookie, choose exercise instead of Netflix and, you know, all of the, all of the right choices and start to, you know, reach out to tools and reach out to people and access resources that are available to make your life better. Because if you don't, nobody else will. And that's just the, the unfortunate reality. But I think it's a positive because it means that you can do something about it. If it was just up to someone else, then, well, you're just sitting here like a lump on a log and you're helpless. And being helpless is never a good feeling and not something that anyone wants to go through in any scenario. But understanding that it is up to you, I think, should be an empowering feeling, which is a great word to let you know that you can overcome this and you can go through this magical feeling of transformation, which is the best, which is the best part of it. It's the most amazing part of my job. And the reason that I do what I do and coaching people and, and, and doing the podcast and all this is because it's, it's watching people go through these transformations and, and getting a second chance at life. And it sounds like a big statement, but it's, it, it's, it's very true when you see someone go through it. And we what, what, what's more important in life? I mean, in a way, if, if, if you can spend your time, I'm trying to spend my time doing that and, and seeing this transformation happen and truly being a help, help people to, you know, uh, live better lives. I mean, what is a, what, what could be a better way to spend your time and energy on this earth? I mean, that's why I do what I do every day. And I invest in companies that are doing it only because it's just, it's just really empowering for, for me as a person, and you know, I, 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 I'm pretty happy about my life from the perspective of what I can influence people, even in a, in a small scale. Yeah, I, I don't think that there's much better ways to to spend your days, right? Thinking of ways to uh, leave the world a little bit better than when we got here. I think that's a pretty good way to to spend a life. And you know, also, what do I know about life? I <laughs> haven't been around for all of that long, but I think it's, uh, I think it's a great way to to spend time rather than just chasing stuff and necessarily more money and more things and more clothes and more whatever, you know, that, that will come with it as well. But one of my favorite quotes someone told to me a long time ago was that getting money comes as a consequence of adding value to the world. So don't chase the money, find ways to continue to add value to the world and help people and do the right thing. And the money will come and will follow that. And that's something that's been kind of guiding me ever since that was told to me almost 10 years ago now. But uh, yeah, really good way to just spend our days, I think. And so that's why we, you know, we need people like you who are pioneering these companies that have these resources and give tools to people to start to make sense of their health and their life to be able to empower them to actually make some changes, which is not always easy. It's very simplistic in nature. Like we just said, yeah, move a little bit, exercise, eat real food, blah, blah. Listeners of the podcast, you've heard me say that 8 million times, but how do we actually go about that? That's where, you know, that's where these kind of tools come in and, and, and things like your, your latest company, ELO and, and all of the other things that you've built is how do we actually make this tangible and usable for, for people. So I want to give you a chance to just talk about like the, the, the nutrition side of things and how we're starting to, or how you're starting to personalize that in a way that makes sense for people. So talk a little bit about some of the biomarkers related to nutrition and how someone can, can start to use that. 
Yeah, so t- totally. And I, I, like you heard already, I, I, I believe in the tracking. I believe in ability to measure and then improve. And um, I have had this big dilemma for a long time in my life, and, um, and I've seen it around me, that people can't quantify nutrition. People can't quantify the food. People can't quantify uh, how it relates to their health. And, and that's what we try to do at Elo. We are, we are aiming at building a new category. We call it uh, smart nutrition. Uh, smart nutrition in our book means uh, uh, food and nutrition. It can be, we do supplements today. We do, uh, we just launched protein powder today. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Uh, we are adding many more products going forward. And we do this based on data about our body, about our health. We are doing uh, blood testing at home, uh, collecting the uh, finger prick at home, sending it to our lab, testing it. We connect to all these wearable devices that we have today, take that data understand, turn it into meaning. And we also, of course, do health questionnaires and uh, and and go deep in the way how you are, how do you want to eat, like what type of you know person you want to be. And we take all that information and then we use AI to create the right plan for you. And the simple idea, if I simplify it, is basically finding the nutrient gaps you have today and then filling them with the right nutrients. And that may sound simple, but it's actually pretty difficult to do because first of all, most of us have never tested our body in a way we are now able to do in a modern science. Um, we do, you know, 12 biomarkers on the blood today. That is not that tremendous. I think we're going to do probably 200 in the years to come. That will be very fundamentally new. Uh, today we are looking at your, you know, cholesterols, your your fats in your in your blood. We look at your A1C, the diabetes marker your inflammation, homocysteine, we look at your vitamins, D, B, you know, we look at iron and, and, and that's stuff like that. That's giving us a baseline health. Like, where are you? Are you are you in a slippery slope getting sick already? Or are you pretty healthy? 90% of people we test today, they have something on the red or yellow. Mm. And we added this yellow uh, area for all the testing we do, including the kind of activity and recovery and so forth, where we understand that, okay, you are not yet sick, but you are not at the right place. You can improve. Your doctor today, there are a few doctors who are, you know, more, you know, holistic and they are focusing on performance. They will say, you are not optimal. But the normal doctor will say, you are not red, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. And then overnight, you become uh, sick and you're going to be medicated. Like, it's just idiotic in a way that we are letting people to go all the way to the red before we tell them anything and then they are red and we medicate that is the one of the (laughs) fundamentally biggest flaws we have in the western medicine maybe society as a whole because i mean if you would have people almost almost everybody says why didn't anyone warn me about this now it's too late and they don't give you any other ammo except the pill nobody will tell like what do you could do beyond that so we're trying to bring kind of the, the stopping the traffic lights, the green, the yellow, the red earlier and warn you about something now. Okay, not only warn you, but what can you do now? Right. So what we then do, we, we start delivering you the right nutrition at the right time. And we pair you with a dietitian. We could pair you with the doctor. We decided to do first dietitians because they are uh, the gatekeeper, the person who is able to communicate with you about this complicated world of nutrition and food these are people who have a master's degree they have studied five years of nutrition doctors have studied three hours 
It's a very different uh, perspective. <laughs> yes. And it's been amazing that, you know, almost all the people we pair with these, these dietitians, they have never even met a dietitian before. They didn't know what they are. And now they have a dialogue and they can communicate day by day on the app. They have a face-to-face like we have today. And that has become a really powerful uh, change agent for people because they actually can answer your questions that you have had forever. They can uh, maybe tell you no, the, the beliefs you have are silly. They are not real. You heard from some silly podcast or read in a silly book or whatever article. Because people are like whiplashing, like, you know, eggs are bad, eggs are bad, good, <laughs> bacon is good, bacon is bad. Nobody has any idea what to, what to eat today because we are so confused. Uh, so we are trying to kind of empower you, give you the tools, make it very easy, and also trying to make it cost-effective in a way that you can you can sign up and get, get you know, going immediately and see the outcomes in 90 days or, or less. Even. It really sounds to me like it's mostly just adding nutrition to the healthcare system. When you go to a doctor, even here in Canada, again, it's all, you know, publicly funded and, and whatever. If there's something off in your blood work, the doctor might say, oh, you should, you know, try and eat a little bit healthier. And then you leave the doctor's office like, well, what the fuck does that mean? Like well, he said, I should eat a little bit healthier, like, but I don't know how to do that. And he doesn't have time to, he or she doesn't have time to tell me what that means or how I should eat until your blood work is like, wow, you're all the way in the red. Okay. Here's a pill to fix that. And then that pill causes this other side effect and causes this other side effect. And, but we never fix the actual problem, which could have just been solved by nutrition. And so why, why, what you're doing is adding that, okay, well, let's check these biomarkers. Let's see what's going on. And before something bad happens, let's start to add the nutrition element into our healthcare. The same as I think that I'm obviously biased, but personal trainers or movement specialists or movement educators, coaches, whatever, should also be included in this somehow. Now, I don't know how the economics of all that works out, and I'm not you know here to here to really like make that argument, but nutrition and exercise and and mental health and meditation and these things i think should all be included in this because like you said the thing that most people don't know is medical doctors are very smart people but they've only had a handful of hours of nutrition training probably zero hours of exercise training very little to little hours about mental health and these other things and that's why we have other specialties like dietitians to figure out how to do these things and how to help people with it because they are the experts at that thing medical doctors are experts at medicine and medicine is not food and exercise and sleep and all of the things although it it could be <laughs> but but by the current definition it's uh it's not so so help me understand then how the, the system works. So someone approaches Elo, says, I want to sign up. They are given a blood test that they can do at home. They send the blood test back to the lab. And and then what happens from there? What's the actual like process? Yeah, we get the results in a in few days and uh, uh, set up a, a call with uh, with the member. Um, we pair them up with the right codes that, you know, is good fit for them, depending who they are, where they are. And um and then, you know, the session goes on um, and we are sending the first product often today. It has been uh, uh, supplements. So we send a daily package of supplements that are modified every month based on the data we are getting about the person. Um, we have a, another product that, you know, is coming out right now. That is a protein product that we, uh, you don't have to do the blood test. You can if you want and you can get more precise. 
but if you don't you can simply connect um, you can buy the product you can connect um, uh, the Elo app with uh, Apple Health uh, it's only on Apple devices today because Apple Health is a unique uh, thing that doesn't work yet on, on Android devices but you can connect all the wearable data into Elo and you can even connect your previous you know health data from your hospital that's only available in the US today and and we take the data and we we blend a unique uh, protein product for you based on what you have done in the last 30 days activities you know recovery all this stuff and of course we know your body composition we know you know your uh, your diet and so forth so we are able to uh, create a unique custom built product handmade every bag is different to you it can be whey it can be pea it can have carbs it can be no carbs it can have supplementation into the protein powder if you do the blood test as well. So really building like a completely unique new product. And then what we did that I'm I'm super excited about this, we are trying to make it easier to remember to adhere, to take the product. So when the supplements we are notifying every day, I have a notification right now on my watch here to take my supplements today. I have my, my, my packs here right next to me. And... Uh, with protein, what we did was so I think it's super cool. Um, after every time you are tracking something with your wearable devices, or you can track it on your Peloton or your Tonal or your Strava app or whatever you want to do, you track it and it can be then connected to Apple Health, connected to Elo, so we can give you real-time notification how much protein you need after every exercise, mm. and that's now live. and um, And it's been really fun to test this out with the first hundred people and. Um, People are loving it. I mean, because first time you actually know what did you do and when. People are pretty confused. And uh, that's why I think it's all about uh, maybe hand-holding people a bit more and giving people, again, uh, the empowerment that, you know, like you you make it easy, but also empower people to do the right thing at the right time. Uh, protein, by the way, it works. And, you know, you know this well. If you, if you want to exercise, you know, gain muscle, maybe the best thing you can do is to just have a you know recovery protein product or have a protein you know before the excess both do work and um, and then you you just recover better you you are less sore and you can train more so you get this positive feedback loop and many people do the protein wrong they take protein many times a day and and that can lead into issues like cancer growth and uh, and other things that are not not the right things but we are trying to help people to kind of know how much and when to take it and have a right type of product for you made for you so that's what we what we created now and it's pretty cool to get it out today i would be remiss if i didn't make a, a mention of of apple not playing nicely with everyone else and they don't want their devices uh compatible with other devices and it's not available on android and it's not available on this and apple only does this as we see that you know elon musk and his uh his arguments with Apple and, and whatnot, but uh, separate <laughs> separate topic there. That's just because I'm obviously not a, an Apple user. Um, with the with the protein, I think another big thing there is that there's a lot of protein supplements out there on the market. People have been told it's good for you. You should take protein after your workout. Which yes, great, but that leads to a lot of bad quality stuff. And this is probably where a lot of like the the negative impacts come. People forget that eating real food is also an option and they're, you know, slugging back four or five protein shakes a day, which are very bad quality protein. And so any protein that's not third party tested, at least it's probably not really something that like people should be consuming and especially not regularly. But I know that that's a challenge. Like the, the expense of that, you would know it must be 
enormous. And that's why most companies don't do it right on the supplement side of things. Well, pro protein is, is one of these things that uh, if you buy the cheapest protein today in the US, I mean, it's very, very cheap. I mean, <laughs> yeah. almost free. Um, we we spent a lot of time when we built the product last year to find the right uh, partner. So our way is coming from New Zealand. It's uh, maybe the only place you can get, get grass-fed whey protein uh, that is clean and tested and, and so forth. Our, our pea is coming from organic peas in Belgium. That was the best, cleanest one we found. I mean, I mean the price point difference between that that New Zealand way and the uh, Belgium pea <laughs> to the cheapest U.S. Um, mass, you know, created um, way is probably tenfold different yeah. at least. But you know, it's still like I mean, you want to have the right type of product for people uh, with with no hormones and stuff like that or residue of things that are not not good for you. Uh, so it's a really key, I think, to have. And, and the, again, the same thing. If you if you buy these, you know, cans of uh, protein in your local gym, I mean, take a look how much sugar is there. Uh, you can buy the LO protein with no sugar at all. We we are using organic stevia and and also starting to use monk fruit uh, that are not glycemically loaded at all and not spiking your glucose, and they taste taste really good. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot you can do differently. And of course, the last point about our, our product is that we we do track then, uh, you know, if you take supplements, we test you again every now and then and as part of the product. So you you see the outcomes. If, if something is, the needle is not moving, then we will work together with you to understand why. And we are all a bit different. Like I have a mutation in my vitamin D metabolism i don't metabolize vitamin d properly so i have to take a much higher dose than most people maybe up to ten thousand iu a day uh, and my vitamin d was super low all my life remember i came from the northern hemisphere where you have no sun so i, I don't even know what my vitamin d was when i was a teenager probably like 10 now it's 80 and i feel different uh, so we need to kind of if you don't track again you're just not gonna know and we have like I said, 90% of people who come in today, they have deficiencies. But many people, maybe 30-40%, have too high values. So they've been loading up too much. And that can be very detrimental uh, in the long term. And and people are very surprised. That, you know, I thought you know, I just have to you know, take vitamin D pills like candy. <laughs> and now people are having these gummy vitamins that are candy, literally. <laughs> yeah. And they're having way too many of them. And many men are eating them like like handfuls. Like I'm like, are you are you crazy? Like you're gonna you're not gonna kill yourself, but you know, you're gonna have a negative impact in your health. Yeah. Everything exists in like somewhat of a balance. And too much of a good thing is no longer a good thing, right? And this is why the, the continued monitoring is obviously important. How often do people how often do you request like the blood work again to, to reassess whether the protocol is working? Is it a monthly thing as it updates or is it every three months or how does it work? We have done today every 90 days and um, based on the on the data on the first thousands of people, we are now moving into cadence of um, uh, zero, 90, and then every six months. That's the right cadence because some of the things you can impact quickly. We are measuring specifically things that are more fundamental health metrics. If you would measure uh, testosterone or your uh, hormones, uh, that would be daily need maybe or ongoing. If you want to measure your ketones, you know, you're probably going to do it daily or whatnot. But you have other ways to do it. You can use urine, you can use uh, breathalyzers, stuff like that. 
But for the fundamental things like A1C and your cholesterol values and and maybe your inflammation values, they they won't change day by day. Uh, so you don't need to test them all the time. When you do take the the initial blood work, is it only one sample of the blood work, or do you somehow I don't know how logistically this would work out, but you ask someone to take like take a finger prick once a day for the next five days so we can get sort of a, a bit of an average in case that one day that they did take it was was abnormally high or abnormally low for them. Is that something that is possible or even or even good to do? Yeah, so th- this is the, the kit we have. It's a small kit that comes to your mail. And um, we are, like I said, we are testing things that are, are quite uh, fundamental health metrics. Uh, they are not as volatile as you might think. Okay. So if you take your cortisol level, uh, that is going to be volatile depending on how you feel, how your day goes by. That's more like a hormones. They can be fluctuating. Uh, there are some other things that are, are quite fluctuating, but everything we do today are things that, um, I mean, there's not going to be much difference if you do it today or tomorrow. And maybe triglycerides uh, is a one that we, we, we don't today require uh, fasting when you test. Fasting was really difficult to do because, you know, in the morning you are, you're hydrated. You can't get the blood out as easily. So we rather get, let people do it afternoon when they have maybe moved around a bit and they can get the blood flow much better. And uh, triglycerides in theory, if you have like a really fatty meal, you might have an impact, but that impact is still fairly small. We talk about 10 percentage points or less. So yeah, I mean, you don't need to do like ongoing tracking. Like glucose, you, you could do that. And the hormones, you could do that and benefit. But for these other markers, it's not really needed. Right. Makes sense. It's enough that maybe the number would slightly change, but that change would not be enough to actually change the protocol or the proposed solution. So therefore, the, the, the additional testing is not changing the, the, the anything. It's not changing anything that we need to know. So there's no need to do it. And maybe, maybe I could give here, like, this is a great forum, I think, to educate people a bit. And this was something I did not know even, even a couple of years ago. And I've been deep in this space. So um, when we do blood testing today, uh, normally, of course, you go to your lab and they take a, a venipuncture, they take a, maybe two or three vials, basically one vial for one test often, like one vial for the lipid panel, one vial for your vitamin test, whatever they do. Um, it can feel like a lot of blood and truly it is a lot of blood for, for one test. Um, they take it then into the lab side or send it somewhere and then they run it into the lab devices. Many of the devices that are used for the finger prick to use to the venipunks are quite the same machines. And the, the unknown thing for most people is that there can be calibration errors in these devices and uh, there can be... Uh, different values depending where you send your blood. So we have done a lot of testing today at ELO because I'm, of course, concerned that, you know, is the finger pricking equal to the venipuncture data? Because, you know, we use the Apple Health and you can even connect your old lab data from your lab into ELO and we can then craft them together in the same line with the finger prick. Can we compare? Do we need to address some um, adjustments there? So we have done a lot of testing, like when we send one blood, like my blood, for example, we took 10 vials, we sent it to 10 different labs, and then there's 30% difference in the test rates, 30% wow. difference. And I was like, wow, I had no idea. Because we have this fallacy again, 
when we measure something and we get a number out of it, like think about this, like many of the blood biomarker values are like uh, 58.7. So there's the decimal point and you're like, oh, this must be like 1% tolerance. <laughs> right. And there could be a 15, 20% tolerance just by the lab, how they tested it or how calibrated they were. And that is not known by people. So we we have a lot of people today, maybe people listening right now, who have been medicated based on a one blood test. I recommend often people to just ask the doctor if, if this is a really like an off value or first time you tested on something and you're going to be medicated, ask them to test again. It won't cost a lot of money for them. It will take a few days. Um, but we have seen a lot of times that you know people are medicated because they got an off value once. And then they're going to eat pills that they don't really need. So that was a big surprise to me that I did not know before. And, um, and now I'm, I'm very uh, careful on telling people to, hey, only thing you should do is to start testing. I don't care if you use ELO or whatever, but go to your doctor and start collecting the data longitudinally. Because if you have one data point, nobody will know. I mean, we don't know what your baseline is. Like my baseline for LDL cholesterol is quite high. I'm on the, on, the, on the yellow. And I've been on the yellow now for more than 15 years. I've dated from 15 years back. And I got so my doctor, the date, and, and my, my science team, and they're like, you, your LDL happens to be higher. The, my particle sizes of my LDL, that is more important, are, are really healthy particle sizes, meaning like big particles, not too small. So because I know that, I, I know it's fine for me. But if I go to a new doctor today, they will start talking to me about statins. And I have to admit, I'm, I'm one of the more healthy people you can find out there today because I've been doing this optimization for 15 years. Um, but, I mean, the doctor will look at the value and they say, hmm, you look yellow, you might go red. Uh, what about statins? That is crazy. I It makes so much sense to say and it doesn't seem all that unlikely, but not something that I had known or really thought about either that you know, there's there's human error and everything. There's machine error and everything. If the the lab is slightly, uh, that machine is not calibrated properly, or it's a different model than a, an, another machine at a different lab, it somehow calculates things differently. And the the illusion of uh, of accuracy as well, like you said, fifty six point seven leads us to believe that it's within point one per you know point one percent or point one decimal points. But what if that number said fifty? Then you might be like, oh, okay, it's like roughly roughly 50 and and you'd be okay with that and so this this illusion but yeah that that's a that's a great point for people to to take away from this is to, to start getting tested and if something looks off to ask for it to be retested and i think the other side of that is if if something feels off to you not the numbers your body something feels off but your blood test shows everything is normal also ask for it to be retested because it can it can test incorrectly either positively or negatively, right? So if you really feel off, ask for more testing, ask for retest. And again, it goes back to what we spoke about earlier is to be the the advocate and the CEO of your own health because no one's going to do it for you. So that's a that's a very important message, I think, for people to take from this. And, let, and let's not tell anyone that, you know, I do this, but I, I go, I use Kaiser Permanente here in the Bay Area. I'm, I'm a big fan of Kaiser. They're wonderful. One of the best healthcare systems in the world, I think, today. Um, they have their problems as well. Uh, they cover 10 million people in California. It's pretty big, big operation. But I go there and I've done this for many, many years. I go there twice a year and I get the panel of uh, 28 tests, I think. 
I mean, very few people get the panel 28 test. Why do I get it? I've been very persistently asking for it a long time. Yeah. And after 10 years, they don't even, like, I, I, I sent a text to my, my doctor and they just order me the test. So I think, you know, it's up to you to ask. Yeah. If it's, especially in Canada where you have a healthcare system that, you know, you normally get the minimum. If you ask, you will get it. And um, why would they not give you that if you really ask for it? And you have a you know real reason behind it. Yeah, I can I can attest to that as well. Like I've had some blood tests and things that I've wanted to get tested and even as simple as vitamin D levels. And that's not part of the, the like the routine uh, blood testing here. And to ask your doctor just for curiosity is not a good enough reason. Even if you have to pay for it out of your pocket, which you do here in Canada, it's still, they won't order it for you and you have to beg and make a, basically, again, don't tell anyone that I did this, but you have to make up a story and make up an excuse as to like how bad you're feeling to get your doctor to test the things that you want to be tested and you will still have to pay for it. So it's not like, oh, you're scamming the medical care system. Like, no, you're still paying for it out of your pocket and as well as your taxes, but out of your pocket. So again, you've got to be the advocate for yourself, whether it's paid for or not, or whoever, because, you know, the doctors are instructed in one way and not all doctors will do that. But, you know, it's happened to me and many people I know you've really got to, you really have to make the case for yourself because no one cares as much as you do. And we have this sick care system where nothing's going to happen until it's really bad anyway. So you better get ahead of it. Unfortunately. I'll put. <laughs> Ari, um, let people know where they can find LO and how they can get in contact. And I'll put all the stuff in the show notes as well, but just rattle it off for us here. Yeah. Anyone, um, yeah, we are only available at LO is available in the US. Um, you can, uh, you can sign up at LO.health, uh, uh, not .com, but .health. Uh, somebody is holding the .com hostage. We can't buy it yet. Maybe <laughs> later. <laughs> At least I'm honest about it. Um, and um, we are offering the, the supplements today in every state except uh, New York. Uh, we require an iPhone, not because um, uh, Apple has a monopoly, but because Apple is just way better at doing health. And Apple is really, really only one today, in my opinion, in whole tech space who is thinking privacy in the right way mm. they are truly doing the right way i'm big hat for apple on doing what they do uh, not only because my co-founder is one of the key designers from apple uh, for a long time but you know i i I'm, i really like what they do with data privacy it's, it's pretty amazing android is basically giving your data out to everybody to see not the right thing to do yeah. um and the protein is available today uh whole nationwide in the u.s yeah. including awesome. also new york so super stoked about that and uh, i can i'm easy to find ari tula in in interwebs um i think i'm the first 50 based on google is my name so i'm the only one with this name amazing L- lucky for you hopefully that uh you know you get the the domain as well that lo.com seems to be <laughs> more common than ari tula but uh hopefully that'll <laughs> that will that it, will it, uh, LO, LO, actually, lo actually means uh it means life in finnish and oh, I think okay. that .com is probably going to, it's probably the, one of the biggest uh, insurance companies in Finland who own that domain. So I don't think, I need to buy them away first, but that yeah, will be yeah. years from now. <laughs> <laughs> that, is a, that is a tall order to buy away a, an insurance company and it's an actual functioning company and functioning website, that not not just like someone's holding it actually hostage, but they're actually using it. So, um, but yeah, this has been great, Ari. Thank you so much for for sharing with us today and, and good luck with that, all the things you're doing. I'm, I'm very excited to see it and to see these things continue to flourish and be able to help people with all of these things things. Um, so it's, it's exciting stuff. Is there any message that you want to leave the people with here before we sign off? I think we covered, uh, covered a lot. Um, 
but I mean, it really is about uh, uh, not not selling what is given to you, but uh, taking the lead and taking the ownership about your health. That's the number one thing we can do. We need to do. Beautiful. Very well said. Thank you very much again, Ari, for for your time and for sharing with us. Um, everyone listening, Health and Ari Tula across the board, all, all, all over the internet. Um, links will be in the show notes to everything. Make sure you share this episode with a friend who, who needs to hear it. Uh, take some, some responsibility for your own health and don't just listen to what we said today. Actually do something about it because only you can do it. Go outside, be a good person, share the podcast in all the places, and we'll see you next time.